again, there's a misprint in your bulletin. We'll begin that series on Christmas uh, next Sunday. I put the wrong one in. So this morning, if you'll find your place in 2 Samuel chapter 24. Thank you, ladies, for the beautiful music today. 2 Samuel chapter 24. We're going to finish up our series on David. We've called it Flawed Hero. 2 Samuel chapter 24, please. 2 Samuel chapter 24. You know the best of men are men at best. Did you know that? The best of men are men at best. And we've learned that time and time again as we've been looking at David's failures. And I want you to know we've not spent this time looking at David's failures because we wanted to make ourselves feel better. To say, well, you know, look at what David did. I didn't do that. I didn't do that over yonder. And so I feel better. No, we're looking at his shortcomings so that we might, we might not make the same mistakes ourselves. You know, the wise person learns from their own mistakes, but they also learn from the mistakes of other people. They watch other people. They see other people. They know the mistakes they make. They see those things. And they say, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I don't have to experience that myself. It's enough that I watch that they do it and what happened to them, and I'm going to be wise and seek not to do that myself. Um, it's my prayer that that will be the case as we come to the last message in our series Flawed hero, and today's lesson is an important one. Uh, no matter where you are in your journey of faith, you might be a new Christian, a new believer. Uh, you might be a seasoned saint who's been following the Lord for a long time. Uh, but it's an important lesson because you know, beloved, none of us are immune to temptation. None of us are immune to the tug of sin in our lives. It's something that we have to contend with until our dying day. And sometimes we, like David, we royally mess up and we fail and we sin. And uh, many people considered David's sin with Bathsheba, and we studied that one together. They considered that sin to be his greatest failure of all time, the sin with Bathsheba. But actually, after today's study, that may be up for debate. Was that really David's greatest failure or was this? that we're about to study David's greatest failure. I could have chosen one of two passages as our main text today, uh, 2 Samuel 24, or we could have went to 1 Chronicles 21, and we will reference that one some, but I've chosen to stay here uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, and uh, we're going to take that as our main text. Now, I've got to warn you before we read that even after we're done studying today, there are going to be some questions that are still going to be left unanswered. The Scripture doesn't give us every detail, but the Lord did give us what He wanted us to have. And, and you're okay with that, aren't you? You know that God doesn't owe us any answers. and In fact, God doesn't owe us anything. Uh, we know that God's ways are so much higher than our ways and His thoughts so much higher than our thoughts. And it's enough that He knows and we rest in Him. And I, I need you to lean in today because we're going to think together. I know that's hard on a Sunday morning sometimes to actually... You know, think. I mean, it's been a long week, and and here we are, and and you're some of you are dreading tomorrow, and you're thinking about what you want to do this afternoon. And uh, but I want you to lean in. I want you to think as we go through today, as we cover this uh, portion of David's life. So you're in Second Samuel 24. We're going to begin reading at verse one, and there are a lot of uh, words in this passage that are hard to pronounce, and, and and sometimes we think, wow, how in the world does does the preacher not announce all this? I don't. I just make it up as I go along. <laughs> Um, when you get to one of those words, just say it confidently. Nobody else knows either, okay? Uh, 
But it says in verse 1, again, again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. He moved David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are, and may the eyes of my lord the king see it. But why does my lord the king desire this thing? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. Therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. We come down to verse 5. We now see the path they took and they crossed over the Jordan and they camped in Aror and on the right side of the town which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad and toward Jazer. Then they came to Gilead and to the land of Totem, Hachi. They came to Dan Juan and around to Sidon and they came to the stronghold of Tyre and all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. Then they went out to south Judah as far as Beersheba so when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. Nine months and twenty days. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. Now verse 10 is very interesting. Because we're not, we're not expecting to read this. Verse 10 says, And David's heart condemned him after he'd numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly in what I've done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now we're going to stop right now at verse 10. And if you're like me, some questions have already formed in your mind. And it may be all three of these or one or two of these, but there are three questions I want to cover real quick. Number one, why is God angry at Israel? Number two, who led David to take this census? And thirdly, what was wrong with taking this census? So I want to cover those three real quick, kind of lay a foundation. Don't get excited. That's not the whole message when we get done with question number three. But first of all, why is God angry at Israel? Because verse one says the anger of the Lord, again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Why? We don't know. Question two. We don't. Question two. Who led David to take this census to number the people? I mean, if it was a sin, verse 10 says that his heart condemned him, it was a sin, but it appears that God's the one then that led him to sin because it says in verse 1 that he moved David against him to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. But we know that uh, God doesn't lead people into sin. In fact, I'll put the references up there. James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So we know if it was a sin, God's not responsible for it. God doesn't lead us to sin. In fact, we're taught to pray that God would help us not to sin and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So what's going on here? Well, we're helped. We're helped when we go look at the other passage. First Chronicles, you can jot this reference down, 
1 Chronicles 21.1 tells us more of what's going on. 1 Chronicles 21.1 says, Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Aha! So Satan's behind this. 1 Chronicles 21.1 Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So this is Satan's moving and tempting him. But then why does it say in our text that God moved David to do this? Isn't the Bible contradicting itself here? No, beloved. The Bible's not contradicting itself. You see, Satan tempted David. David decided to do it and God allowed it all to take place. You understand that God's in total, complete control, don't you? Satan tempted David. David decided to follow the temptation. And God allowed it all to take place. You know, God is in control. We can't even lift our little finger. We, we can't even do that without God. Without His enablement, His power, His allowance. His allowing us to do that. And Satan cannot move without the permission of God Almighty. And so in a sense, it is that God allowed this to take place. It was a sin. David did it, but God allowed it to happen. But then comes the third question. I think this is probably the question that's probably upon your mind the most. And that is, well, what's wrong with taking the census in the first place? I mean, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with numbering the people? I mean, don't we even have a book in the Bible called Numbers? Well, there are a lot of different ideas. I'll run over a couple of them with you real quickly. Uh, some people think it's based upon what Exodus 30, verses 12 and 13 teaches. And that is, when they went out to take a census, they were supposed to collect an offering. And they said, well, probably what happened here is David went out and he had the census taken, but he didn't collect an offering. He disobeyed the Lord, and so, therefore, it was a sin. Then others say, no, what's going on here is David is numbering these people because he's beginning to rest and trust in his military strength rather than the strength of the Lord. And he wanted to know how many valiant men that there were in his army and in his kingdom. And then there are those who say, no, what's going on here is just plain pride. David wanted to see and hear and, and have a count of just how marvelous and wonderful his kingdom had become. Now, we're not told exactly what the cause of this all was and why it was a sin, but we know it was a sin. And beloved, personally, I lean toward the third one. And that is, I believe what we have here is pride, plain and simple. Pride, plain and simple. It may be he did not collect the uh, offering. It may be he was resting in his military power, but that's pride too. But I think what we have here is pride. You see, his sin with Bathsheba, has been noted, was a sin of passion. And this sin seems to be a sin of pride. We don't read anywhere here that he consulted with the Lord or he prayed or he asked for godly counsel. He would have his numbers counted and that was the end of it. But you remember what the Scripture teaches, don't you? When it comes to pride, Proverbs 16, 18 says what? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is going to lead to failure. And I believe that's what we have here in the life of David. Now, those are the three questions. That's the best we can do in answering those. So let's move on to some lessons, okay? Some lessons from this passage. I want you to notice this first lesson. And it's this. God is sovereign even when we're foolish. God is sovereign. He's in charge. He's in control. He's the king. God is sovereign even when we're foolish. Now, sometimes we make dumb mistakes, don't we? 
Let's just be honest about it. We stand in a foolish manner, don't we? You ever stand and say, how could I be so dumb? I can't believe I did that. We sin. We do foolish. David says, go and number the people. And this was a sin in his case. Notice what he says in verse 10 again. Notice how foolish it was. David's heart condemned him after he numbered the people. David said to the Lord, here's his prayer, I have sinned greatly in what I've done, but now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity from your servant, for I have done what? I've done very foolishly. Lord, I've been acting the fool in this. I've been foolish in doing this. God, you're still sovereign, though. And I'm crying out to you. And, and I want you to stay with me. Don't leave early. Because we're going to see how God's going to bring good out of this. How God's going to bring good out of this. Uh, have you noticed the grace of God in this passage already? We've only read the first ten verses, right? But did you notice God's grace in it? Did you notice it seems to even try to warn David early on? When David tells Joab to go and number the people, did you notice verse 3, what Joab said? Joab didn't say, yes, sir, and march out. Notice it says in verse uh, 3, Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are, and may the eyes of my Lord the king see it. But why does my Lord the king desire this thing? Like a warning for David. Are you sure about this? Remember when he saw Bathsheba? And he wanted to stand and get Bathsheba? Remember the grace of God? Is this not Uriah's wife? God is gracious. He's trying to bring a warning. But David uh, plunges on along and he wouldn't listen. And then you have the grace of God at the time factor. It took nine months and 20 days to get the census together. And you would think that somewhere along the way in those nine months and 20 days that David would come to his census and say, you know what, this is foolish, this is wrong, this is sinful. Bring Joab, bring them back, stop this. But he didn't. See, he's the man after God's own heart, but he's acting foolishly. But even while he's acting foolishly, God is still sovereign. And beloved, we need to always remember that. No matter what man does, no matter what we do, God is still in charge. And he's in charge this morning. And it may not always seem that way. It may not always appear that way. It may not always feel that way. But God is always in charge. And here, God, it says, is angry with His people. He allows Satan to tempt David. David decides to succumb to the temptation. As we're about to see, God's going to discipline David and the people. And He teaches David a lesson at the same time. God is sovereign even when we're foolish. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two, God is merciful even when we're sinful. Praise the Lord for that. God is merciful even when we're sinful. Now, let's pick up the story. Let's see what happens. Verse 11. Now, when David arose in the morning, you know, he's just prayed for forgiveness. He's just prayed for uh, to the Lord there. But then it says in verse 11, Now, when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. He gives them multiple choice. Anybody here like multiple choice? When you were in school, you like that? Well, he gives them multiple choice, but listen, none of these are pleasant. In fact, you'll see the multiple choice in the next verse, verse 13. So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, here's the three now. Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? 
or shall there be three days plague in your land? One, two, three, you choose. Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him, the Lord, who sent me. Verse 14. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. God is merciful even when we're sinful. Well, what did God do? Verse 15, so the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time, from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. 70,000 men of the people died. Verse 16 says, and when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, did you see that? To destroy Jerusalem... The Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It is enough! Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. We have to remember, beloved, that our sin doesn't just affect us. That's especially true if you're a leader. Your sin has an impact upon many people. You've got to remember that David's not just a man, not just a shepherd. He's not just... A child of God, he's the king. And that a foolish decision that he made, the sin that he committed, impacted his kingdom. It impacted the people that he led. And though he will be forgiven, there are consequences to this. And God gives him this option. And there are those who say, uh, you know, I think he chose the third one. But I don't necessarily see that. I, I think David does a very wise thing. He falls upon the mercy of the Lord. He says, God, be merciful. Because I'm in a great distress. And the Lord sent a plague among the people and 70,000 people died. Remember at the beginning I said that some people say that David's greatest failure was with Bathsheba. You know, as a result of that, we know that Uriah, her husband, died. We know that the baby that they had, that first baby, died. But here, David's sin cost the lives of 70,000 people. I think it's up for debate, don't you, that it may be that David's greatest failure was not with Bathsheba, as bad as that was, but was in numbering the people. We see the mercy of God in verse 16 where he says it's enough. Restrain your hand. And some might be there thinking, well, you know, how awful, how horrible that God would kill 70,000 innocent people. Well, if you're thinking that way, your logic's a bit flawed. Number one, they weren't innocent. God was angry with the people. And number two, God is merciful in that He didn't kill them all. You ever think about that? God is merciful in letting any of us live. The fact that you are alive today, that I'm alive, is of the Lord's mercies. So the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Great is thy faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. God is merciful. And thank God He doesn't give us what we deserve. Because all we deserve is hell. But in mercy, God is merciful even while we're sinful. When we're sinful, God is merciful. And in mercy and grace, He comes to us. There's grace. There's common grace for all mankind. And there's saving grace for all who will believe. Have you believed? Have you experienced the saving grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, come to Him today in repentance and faith. What do we learn so far? Three lessons. We've got two of them down. 
Number one, God is sovereign even when we're foolish, praise the Lord. Secondly, God is merciful even when we're sinful, praise the Lord. But there's a third one, and I think you'll like this one. God is gracious even when we're unworthy. God is gracious even when we're unworthy. Let's finish out the chapter and talk about this. Verse 17. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people so they could visibly see whatever was going on here. And said, surely I've sinned and I've done wickedly. But, but notice his heart. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arona the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Arona looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So Arona went out and, and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And Arona said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said to buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice, threshing implements and yokes of the oxen for the wood. Here's what you need. Take it. All these, O king, Aruna has given to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord... Your God accepts you. And then verse 24 is a verse I'm sure you've heard if you've been in church for any amount of time. Verse 24 says, Then the king said to Arona, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which does cost me nothing. That which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. Now there's so much, so much we could say about that. But we've got to hasten. I want you to think about this piece of property that David bought that day from Aruna. For the sake of time and clarity, let me share with you what Warren Wiersbe wrote. He said, if you were asked to name David's two greatest sins, you probably would say his adultery of Bathsheba and his numbering the people. And you'd be right. We've been talking about them all morning. But listen, out of these two great sins, God built a temple. God built a temple. Bathsheba, you remember, she birthed the first child and the child died. The next child lived and his name was Solomon. And God chose to have Solomon succeed him on the throne. You know, Solomon was the one responsible for building the temple. And on the property that David purchased, on which he erected an altar, Solomon built the temple and dedicated it for the glory of God. Think about that. His two greatest failures, God in His gracious goodness, He brought about a temple. The one who would build the temple... And the place the temple would be built. William MacDonald said this, the threshing floor of Aruna, the place he just bought here in the passage, on Mount Moriah, was probably the very spot where Abraham offered Isaac. Way back. It later became the site of Solomon's temple and then of Herod's temple in the time of Christ. 
He says today it's occupied by a Muslim uh, shrine, a Muslim shrine, the Dome of the Rock. Have you heard of it? And he says it will probably be the location of the temple in the tribulation and finally the spot for the millennial temple. And how did it come to be? Out of one of David's, if not the greatest failures David ever had. Out of one of his greatest sins, God brought forth something beautiful. Can't help but think of Romans chapter 5, verse 20, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. God is gracious even when we're unworthy. Now, I need to give you two takeaways and we're done. Don't close up shop. There are two lessons, final takeaways, that you need to take with you. Number one, this reminds us that we need to beware of pride. Beware of pride. It is certainly proper to count our blessings and name them one by one, but we better not ever boast in our blessings. They're a gift from our gracious God. Not something we earned or we merited. They're a gift from God. All that we have is a gift from God. And He deserves all the honor and all the praise and all the glory. May we never be so proud and think, well, I'm going to lean upon my own resources and my own strength and my own stuff because in a moment it can all be gone. Beware of pride. And that's a lesson we all must heed for all of our life here. Beware of pride. But there's a second lesson. That is we need to beware of presumption. Beware of presumption. You say, well, what are you talking about, preacher? Well, we've got to be careful we don't leave here thinking wrongly today. I don't want anybody to leave here thinking this way. Well, you know, David sinned and God blessed him, so I'm just going to do what I want. No. You see, God's grace is not a license to sin. God's goodness is not a free pass for you to live as you desire. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says it this way, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, if, if sin brings about God's grace, let's keep on sinning. He says in Romans 6, 2, Certainly not! No! No! How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You see, David's failures are not given to us to encourage us to do the same. Say, well, David did it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I told the uh, teen class this morning about something I did one time. And they gave them an idea. I said, don't do it! Don't do it! In Bible college one day, I decided I was going to set the clock ahead before the professor got there. And I did. And we got out early. And the light bulbs went out in their mind. I said, don't do it! Don't do it! Don't use me as an excuse. And David's sins are not recorded so we can go out and do the same. See, they're warning signs. They're not, they're not directional markers that say, go this way. They're warning signs that say, beware. They're not green lights. They're red lights. Warning us. Stop. Beware. Look. Listen. Avoid the pitfalls. Danger lies ahead if we follow David and his failures and his pride. But beloved, instead let us follow him who was the man after God's own heart, who had a heart that literally was beating for God. And can I just say to you, beloved, when we do fail and we do sin, may we follow His example. 
and crying out to the merciful Father. And say, Lord, I fall in your hands. You are merciful. For David's God, beloved, is a good God. And David's God is our God. And we know the Bible teaches He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And these truths that we talked about, His sovereignty and His mercy and His gracious goodness, they're as true today as they were in that day. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What a Savior. What a Father. Amen. Father, we ask that You would seal these truths to our hearts. Thank You that You are merciful. And in judgment, You remembered mercy. You said it is enough. Thank You for Your gracious goodness to us. Thank You for Your sovereignty and for Your love and for Your mercy. I pray that if anybody here has never received Christ, may may this be the moment where Your Holy Spirit convicts them and converts them. Help us, Lord, to beware of pride and presumption. Help us to walk in total dependence upon You being led by Your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to sing in closing uh, Christmas song number 91, Silent Night, Holy Night. The altar is open today. If you need to be saved, we'd love to talk with you about that. If you want to come and pray, the altar is open here. 91, we'll stand together. I'll be right down front here. I can help you or pray with you. I'd love to do that. 91, Silent Night. Let's stand together.